what 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 do you say on a Star Trek ship to start the ship? Engage. All right, Jeremy, engage me and I'll get going. Engage. All right, folks, welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast with Randall J. Sanders and Jeremy Spector. I am Ronan O'Shea. This is episode number 31. We are talking Cubs baseball, and it is bad. It is ugly. It is worse than the last time we were talking to each other. The Cubs today, 13 games under 500. They are 52 and 65. Now 18 and a half games out of first place Milwaukee. The Cubs, Randall, have lost eight straight ball games. And surprisingly, that's not their longest losing streak of the year. It's been really, really rough since the end of June. Um, We're going to talk about the big league team a little bit. A horrible homestand where the Cubs lost all seven games against the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago White Sox. There are some things to talk about in there. Um, Also, Jeremy, out in Denver last week for all three Cubs games, we want to chat. We got some stories to tell from our experience here in Denver, Uh, mostly Tough baseball, though. The Cubs dropped two out of three in that series against the Rockies. The good news for the Cubs right now, lots of action in the minor leagues. The Cubs with a rapidly improving farm system will highlight some of the players they got and the trade deadline that are already putting up big numbers in the minor leagues. We will preview the upcoming road trip. The Cubs go to Miami this weekend, Cincinnati next week. And then uh, in the spirit of tonight's ball game, big major league baseball game between the White Sox and the Yankees, I want to talk a little field of dreams. We were thinking about getting some trivia last minute audible here as we go with some field of dreams chat and that's how we'll bring it home. Um, but let's get into it, gentlemen. Uh, things are really bad right now as a Chicago Cubs fan. Interesting stat here from Cubs.com today dating back to June 25th. When the Cubs were in first place, they got that no hitter in Los Angeles against the Dodgers. The Cubs have gone 10 and 32. That's the most losses in Major League Baseball. Yeah, Ronan, it's it's bleak right now. There's not a whole lot going on with this team that inspires one to follow it day to day. You don't really have that one great young position player who's making a name for himself. You don't really even have a a great young pitcher doing that. Maybe Manny Rodriguez is interesting to watch, but he's been touched up a little bit. And as a middle reliever, he's not going to work more than once every two or three days. Anyway, it's bleak. It's bleak right now. And it's bleak in a way we have not seen bleak in quite some time with this team. Jeremy, these are not just losses to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Cubs outscored by 28 runs. 37-9 37-9 in a four-game sweep. The Brewers have certainly emerged as the top team in the National League Central, but that's as ugly as it gets. I mean, I mean, we've seen bad Cubs baseball in our time. At the end of June, this was still a first-place team. Now we're looking at almost certainly a 90-loss season. This is crazy, Jeremy. It is crazy, but, uh, you know, it's a bad team. It's a very bad team. I, I personally, I think it might be the worst team in all of baseball as uh, presently constituted. I know the Rangers are pretty bad. But, uh, you know, they're, you know, it's kind of interesting and it's actually kind of intriguing because I just can't believe how bad they actually are. Like, they are terrible just getting their butts kicked. It's kind of just seeing that, every, you know, giving up 17 runs, just getting crushed every day. It's like, this is a really bad team. I'm kind of curious how bad they are, you know, and and we got we got content to put out. We got a pod. So you got to be keeping track <laughs> of this team every single day. Uh, so like, you know, it is what it is. We all knew it was going to be bad when they traded everybody. Like there's no expectation of them winning. And, you know, you, I think Justin Steele, when Keegan Thompson comes up, I think both those guys are very interesting. The way Justin Steele pitched over the last month in the minors, 
uh, coming back on rehab and then prepping and getting stretched out for, uh, you know, a few starts here at the end of the season. I think he looked dominant and he pitched on a really hot, humid day the other day. He said he couldn't really feel his slider, but, you know, or place it. But, I, you know, we'll see how he does the, uh, the rest of the season. So I, that's a guy I think you would want to keep track of. And, you know, they'll be calling a few other guys up as the season goes on. I know a guy you liked uh, earlier this year, you mentioned Alfonso Rivas. I think he'll probably be called up at some point to see how uh, how he's doing. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. We all knew they were going to be terrible. But, you know, it's comes baseball. You're not going to get it, you know, over the winter. So you might as well enjoy it while you have it. That's an interesting way of putting it. I'm certainly watching it. I don't know that I'm enjoying it. Uh, Yesterday being a perfect example of it. um, Got off work yesterday. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go take out Huxley for about a 20-minute walk, come back, settle in, enjoy the ball game. I come back, one, half an inning has passed, and two, it's 7 nothing. Now, that led to, to your broader point a moment ago, Jeremy. We are in uh, a youth movement, certainly on the north side. Uh, all the moves that were made at the trade deadline, lots of young guys getting opportunities, and that we'll continue to see that over the final month and a half of the season. Cubs making a statement to that as well today, getting rid of Jake Arietta. Randall, a horrific start for him last night. I mentioned the seven runs in the first. He has been terrible in his return to the Chicago Cubs. And this morning, that's it. No more. Jake Arietta's done. And, and as sad as it is to say it, it's almost good riddance at this point. It was a disaster watching him play this year. Yeah, this was certainly the worst case scenario in bringing back Jake. You had hoped that there was a little something left in the tank. Maybe getting out of Philly, getting back to Wrigley would help a little bit. And he, he, he had us fooled for a couple starts to, to start the season that that might've been the case, yeah. but it's been, it's been just awful since then. And there's not a whole lot of love lost in this particular release on the part of the Cubs. So all the best to Jake. Thanks again for 2015 and 2016. And we'll, we'll see you down the road for that uh, 2016 Cubs world series retrospective in yeah. 2026 or 2036. The next time we see Jay Curriette at Wrigley Field, it's going to be under much better circumstances. He'll get a nice ovation. But, Jeremy, it pisses me off that Tom Ricketts and Jed, and I like Jed, and David Ross for that matter. I, I do have confidence in Jed and David to turn this thing around. But, you know, I'm pissed off at them for allowing me to see Jay Curriette getting booed on the field at Wrigley. And in his last game, his last time ever appearing for the team, that sucks. I wanted to avoid it. Go back to the early couple of behind the yellow lines. You heard me like pleading with this team for that not to be the case. And of course we get it. That's what happened. And I, that bothers me, you know, but at least it's over. I think we're, we're past the worst of it now. Yeah. Guys get old and bad, you know, so uh, it was going to happen to everybody at some point. And Jake is definitely old and bad now. Uh, pretty terrible. I mean, I, we, we've talked about it on the pod, you know, going back a month or two, you know, since May, he's been awful. So, and we were wondering when is he, his time going to come when it's, when is he going to pitch his last game as a cub? You know, he went on the IL after that, you know, embarrassing performance in Milwaukee, but uh, you know, he comes back and he just, he still didn't have it. So I, I, you know, Jake, I, 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 he, he was pretty bad. So like he had to go obviously, but I, I wasn't, I wouldn't really be one for booing him. He, he obviously meant so much to the Cubs in their heyday when they were winning, you know, five years ago. So j- to me, Jake, I, it, this doesn't ruin anything for me. I, I always think of Jake Arrieta as the guy who won the Cy Young, the guy in 2014 coming off uh, the IL, basically seemingly throwing uh, almost a no hitter after no hitter every week, uh, just to get broken up in the seventh, eighth inning that that guy, I will always appreciate. He won world series. He was great in the playoffs. 
So like for me, I, I still appreciate Jake. Uh, I, his time here is done. You know, that 2026 is Randall match. That's only five years away. So he can be back here pretty soon. Uh, but it's sad. It's obviously sad to see a guy no longer have the skills and the ability to compete like he used to. I'm sure it's very frustrating for Jake. Um, but it, it had to be done, and I'm glad they did it. it. It was just, it was just time for everybody to move on. It was, and they they didn't even get one turn through their ostensible six man rotation before they jettisoned one sixth of that six man rotation. So, Jeremy, as you said earlier, this probably opens up a. Uh, a spot for Keegan Thompson a little bit down the road once he stretched out a little bit more and watching him and Justin Steele pitch in out of the rotation is probably be probably going to be one of the few bright spots for this team down the stretch. There's not a whole lot else going on. And, you know, this is, this is what they need to be doing. You need to be getting rid of every bit of dead weight you have on this roster and giving somebody else with a little more potential, a shot, you know, Kyle Ryan, he was one of today's roster cuts as they activate some players and bring up some other players. And again, that's fine. He had not had a particularly good season either. That's what you need to be doing. You need to be taking these guys who are on the fringe. You need to be using their 40 man spots and their 26 man spots for players who might potentially factor in and to whom you want to give a major league audition. That's what you need to be doing with this roster down the stretch and getting rid of Arietta and to a much lesser extent, getting rid of Kyle Ryan is the start of that. You know, one other point on the series here against the Brewers, a tough day today. You knew going into it, it was going to be a great pitching matchup. And anytime Kyle Hendricks takes the mound, you know, you've got a chance to win the ball game. His stretch of 16 consecutive starts without a defeat, um, 11 wins among that stretch as well, came to an end today. Nine runs allowed in a couple of innings, a very un-Kyle Hendricks-like ball game. Now, it doesn't help that the world-class defense that we've seen from some guys in the past is not on this roster right now, but still an uncharacteristic game from the ace today, who uh, otherwise has been very good. And during that stretch of 16 starts and earned on average under 2.8. So he was very, very effective just today. Didn't have it. And boy, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. Kyle was not good today. Was Kyle the only guy on the active roster that was a 2016 Cub? Uh, So maybe he was just phoning it in himself as well. I mean, not that I think Kyle wasn't actually trying to compete, but, you know, with him being the only guy really out there, maybe he's just like, get me out of here early. Randall, I got a stat for you. Um, I'm not trying to make your night worse, but I know it's going to. So prepare yourself for it here. The uh, I, 13 will, I will prepare lo- myself. <laughs> the 13 losses the Cubs have suffered this year to the Brewers is the single season club record for the Cubs set back in 2012 and 2013 woof yeah you know that's again that's just what it's going to be the rest of the season you're gonna you're gonna keep getting stats like this you know first winless homestand of x number of games in however many number of years most losses to a single team in the 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 season series since x year that's that's just what it's going to be the rest of the year the cubs are going to be that team against whom the cold hitters get hot they're going to be that team against whom the the awful pitchers pitch great games they're going to be breaking records in futility as far as, you know, winless homestands and, and season series. That's kind of just what it's going to be the rest of the year. There, there's very few stats as far as the, you know, what you just read. There are very few stats like that that are going to surprise me the rest of the way. It's, it's going to be two months of, of discontent. Let me put another one out there, another couple out there. I believe this is the first ever time the Brewers have ever swept the Cubs in a four-game uh, four series. 
And the Brewers now lead the all-time series between the two teams, 198 to 197. Wow, wow, digging there. That's really, really interesting. These teams started in interleague play in 1997. The Brewers came over to the National League in 1998. And I'll say this it's blossomed into a fun rivalry. I feel that way. I know at least one other person on this podcast feels that way. And I know for certain the third person on this podcast, Randall hates the rivalry between the Cubs and the Brewers, but I welcome it. The proximity to Chicago is something that is a real treat for baseball fans. I think about that a lot living in Denver. Now I can't just get in the car and drive to a road game. It's a hell of a distance to get to Kansas city or up to Minneapolis or down to Phoenix. I think that's great. And um, you know, Miller park, when all the Cubs fans are up there, those are rowdy, rowdy ball games. So it sucks right now. It hurts to lose to the Brewers. Um, but that's just a, one other thing for this next great Cubs team to overcome, get that all-time win-loss record back to the north side. Definitely, definitely. You know, as you said, it's only 90 miles without. So, uh, you know, you can go up there, you can, you know, take in a ball game and, uh, and uh, take over an, uh, an opposing stadium. That's always very fun when you're in an opposing stadium and it seems like everybody around you is wearing your team's colors. So that's always a, a fun, you know, and also to troll the other team's fans as well as when you're kicking their ass in their sure. ballpark. You know, it's always fun to go up there and win. It hurts a little bit more when you drive up to Milwaukee and you're sitting there and you're getting just smoked. Like we saw in the first Chris Bryant home run game. We were all up there for slapped around in that game. Um, And uh, sometimes you just take the losses. It makes the wins a little bit more fun when you're there and you put up with the losses. You know, maybe that's something the Cubs can uh, aspire to, to finish out the season. They do go up to Milwaukee one final series uh, against them. Uh, September 17th, 18th, 19th, the weekend series. Maybe at that point, the Brewers will have absolutely nothing left to play for, and the Cubs can uh, sweep that series and take and take back that uh, all-time series. They can aspire to that the rest of the season. Sure, get some momentum going into next season. A big year, the 2022 season for the Chicago Cubs, and we've got a schedule out for that. Um, we'll touch on that, too, before we end today's show. We're also going to talk about the prospects that are performing well on the farm, but before that, um, let's predate this homestand, the Cubs came to Denver for a three-game road trip uh, right across the street here from the apartment. Cubs dropped two of three, a blowout loss on Tuesday night. They win Wednesday night, three to two. Uh, the big hit from Patrick Wisdom that was dropped by Ryan Tapia in left field. And then the Cubs lose the matinee getaway game six to five. Jeremy, you flew out here. You and I were at all three. I've got a couple questions for you about the trip and all that, but I just want to start. I've seen a lot of ball games at Coors Field the last five years, last six years since moving out here. Um, that's kind of become the common place I go and see ball games at. Now, Wrigley's more of a treat for me when I get a chance to get back to Chicago now. Um, what did you think of the experience? We had great seats over the course of the three days, taking in National League Baseball at Coors Field. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, you know, now that, I, you know, the last few years, Coors Field's now been, you know, kind of a, a home away from home for me. I, I'm up there and pretty much in games, we're, we're talking about it out there. I, I have seen like at least 10 games out there. So uh, it's an, always an interesting experience, especially, you know, because it's just so big. It's so massive. Uh, the ballpark itself, plus the playing dimensions, it's like everything hit gets down or you know we actually didn't really see that many homers that could probably be because both teams were just so brutal offensively but uh you know it, it's a fun experience you go out there you, you see it, you got dinger running around people you know yelling and waving for him and uh it's just a fun you know I, it's i like the ballpark I, to me it's a little big i would appreciate to be a little smaller a little 
uh, cozier, a little more uh, intimate. But uh, it's it's still a nice park, I think. The two night game is drew about 40,000 fans. The day game on Thursday, a little over 30,000. You were talking a moment ago about the road fans going up to Miller Park and making it like a home game for the Cubs. Tons of Cubs jerseys. We saw a lot of guys that weren't in the ballpark either. Lots of Bryants, Baez, uh, Rizzo jerseys. Uh, when you saw a Contreras or a Hendricks, it's like, hey, at least that guy's still around. We got some Kosuke jerseys. I mean, spanning any jersey you could think of. Sammy Sosa was walking around on the concourse. Um, always cool to see the volume of Cubs fans that come out here. Uh, incredible, too. You're a thousand miles from Wrigley Field, and yet all of those ball games, well, more than half of the fans cheering for the Cubs. Yeah, I felt like for game two and even game three, it seemed like we were kind of all around Cub fans. There was mostly Cub fans around us. Uh, and I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't. I unpacked my Baez jersey the moment he got traded, took it out of the bag. But, you know, I everywhere we went, it was all Baez, all Bryant. Uh, people were wearing them and, I, I, you know, more power to them if they can do that. Uh, to me, I, I didn't want to go somewhere and then have somebody heckling me, being like, why are you wearing the jersey of a guy you traded? But, uh, you know, it, it was a fun experience to see all those Cubs fans always in another park. You know, and to your credit, you did try to bring a Fukudome. You asked Randall if you could borrow his old Kosuke, and that was just shot down. That shot wasn't down. happening. Yeah, on this that trip. was that was for your own good, Jeremy. You might have gotten lost in that jersey. You would have you would have entered the jersey, and I'm not sure you would have made hey, it. Hey, man, out. I'm not I'm not that small. You you would have been trapped in there Pretty like old. the Phantom Zone. Randall, speaking of jerseys, we saw a very interesting jersey at the Wednesday night ball game. We were in about the third, maybe the fourth row of the upper deck, just past third base. Really cool seats above the Cubs dugout. There was an old woman in front of us to our right. She had a jersey on that said Ruth three. What team's jersey was she wearing? I feel like I'm, I'm going to guess Yankees because that's why you're telling me it had a name on it. Because I know they sell those. It's it's incongruous to me. I don't like it, but I know I have stronger opinions on jerseys than a lot of people do. Jeremy, what, what was that jersey Wednesday night? It was not a New York Yankees jersey. All it right. was not, say, a Boston Red Sox jersey, a Boston Braves jersey. It happened to be a red Texas Rangers jersey. Wow. I didn't know Babe Ruth played for the Texas Rangers, but, you know, that's the great thing about baseball. You, uh, you look into history. Was, she was up there a little bit in age. Maybe she's a Ruth. Maybe. She could, she could be a Ruth. Maybe, maybe she's a descendant, and she played for the Texas Rangers. It was interesting. Um, uh, Jeremy and I were sitting there trying to figure out, was her name Ruth? Maybe like yeah. a grandkid got her a jersey, just happened to be Ruth Free. Just very, very odd to see that. Um, yeah. There was an Ian Stewart jersey, a Colorado Rockies Ian Stewart jersey, which we saw on the upper deck. So strange things you see every time you're out of Coors Field. Um, I got to admit, though, Jeremy, and you sort of alluded to this a moment ago, I think we avoided international yes. controversy on Tuesday night, because uh, if you've been paying attention to the Rockies here, um, major story uh, at their ball game on Sunday against the Miami Marlins, it was uh, reported that a fan had raised a horrific phrase, a slur was shouted at one of the Miami Marlins players while he was in the batter's box in the ninth inning. The Rockies even put out a statement basically saying that they were trying to find out what happened. They were reviewing video footage, all of that. Turns out it was a fan behind home plate who was screaming for the mascot Dinger. And that got misheard. That got reported on. Video evidence is able to corroborate that nothing bad or malicious happened in the ballpark. Jeremy, Tuesday night, you and I had really good seats. We're in the 13th row behind the Rockies dugout. 
you know, it was a rough game for the Cubs. They lost that one uh, handedly 13 to six. We were feeling all right as that game got a little bit later trying to stay entertained. When Dinger came out in the seventh inning for the seventh inning stretch and sort of lingered behind home plate for the final two innings, we were absolutely screaming for Dinger multiple times trying to get that dinosaur's attention. I'm just glad no on-field Mike picked it up because I, I didn't yeah. want that attention. I'm very happy about it. We were, we were definitely screaming some Dinger that I, we were behind the dugout, not too far. So I'm, I would be surprised if there wasn't a Mike over there. But uh, so when I heard that news about Dinger, I was like, you know, that could have been us. We were out there. You were definitely screaming for Dinger. I gave a few Dinger shouts. It was out there. I like the dinosaur. Uh, and he's not all that liked, actually, here in Denver. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, after the ball game Wednesday, uh, took you across the street to McGregor Square. That is the new sort of plaza, bar, restaurants, hotel area, mixed use area right across the street from Coors Field. And it's named after the father of the Cubs sideline reporter, Taylor McGregor. What were your thoughts on your experience? It seems like all these teams now have these sort of social areas or revenue generating places outside the ballpark. Now we all know the one at Wrigley. What did you think of the one here in Denver? Yeah, it seemed very similar to how Wrigley is probably not as, you know, Wrigley is more neighborhoody in the neighborhood. This is obviously a little more open, a little more uh, spacious. Uh, you know, we were, when we were in St. Louis, they have what they have called a uh, ballpark village, which was, you know, kind of just kind of like a building, but you know, that's kind of their attempt at doing that. I remember down in Texas, part of the reason they were moving into a new ballpark was they were going to be able to build around the stadium. I think similar in Atlanta as well. So this is kind of the new trend in uh, sports ownership. Uh, You know, owners looking to make money off of the team, but not directly off the team or indirectly off the team, Uh, you know, with real estate investments outside the ballpark. I think new England is kind of similar to, Patriots, the way where they built Gillette Stadium, they have there's a bunch of like a mall around there and stuff. But you know, for a place, you're, if you're going to go after the game or something before the game, I, I didn't think it was like anything, you know, a big deal or anything. Like, uh, you know, it, it'd be fun to get a drink or two. Uh, you know, it's not not too different than what Gallagher Way is today. Uh, just not as big, obviously. I'm just so happy that um, since the All-Star game, they've got a deep dish pizza stand and an Italian beef stand inside uh, McGregor Square now. So I'm very, very close to at least some tastes back of home here. Um, but a really fun trip, Jeremy. You were out here. We had a good time. You also got a firsthand experience with wildfire smoke, particularly at the yeah. end of the trip. First couple of days were much better than the last. Uh, you made a comment to me. Something you've never seen before. You opened up your weather app. You wanted to see what the high was going to be for the day. And it just said smoky or smoke. Uh, What were your experiences? You know, I've been talking about it the last couple of weeks here on the show. You got to finally see it for yourself. What did you make of the smoky skies? Oh, it was interesting. You know, not, not, you didn't get to see the blue, nice blue skies, uh, which I I wish you could have seen more of. Uh, Personally, honestly, when I was out, feeling like out and about i don't really think i really felt the smoke as much just breathing felt a little bit you can kind of taste but i i do feel like i feel some of the after effects a day or two later you know feeling like okay that air must not have been that good but you know and we walked a lot of places not so much on the worst days um you know i think saturday was probably the worst day when i was out there and that was a day we mostly stayed inside uh but it was interesting like you said i looked to check the weather app on my phone and the forecast was just smoke and i had never seen that before never seen a forecast of smoke reminds me randall of that uh, family guy bit 
where you've got the guy trying to sell the cigarettes and he just pops up randomly the with subliminal, the, the subliminal messaging smoke. Exactly. Um, good news. We're getting a break this weekend, a couple of days off. And then early next week, another wave is supposed to come in here. So I'm looking forward to getting up in the mountains, having some fun this weekend. Uh, Jeremy, one last question for you about your trip out here. We, we got to a lot of different spots in and around Denver, some bars, some restaurants, a couple barcades. Uh, very nice. I set Randall a high score on Pac-Man and not one, but two downtown bars in Denver. Uh, best food or your favorite food, maybe is a better way of putting it on this trip, Jeremy? Uh, uh, favorite food. Uh, that's Personally, I did like when we stopped at Illegal Pete's on, uh, you know, the, my last day, I think Sunday. I, thought, I always was a big fan of that. Uh, you know, the, the spicy sausage, the Polidori sausage at the ballpark was not so bad. Um, let me just think, you know, I've been trying to recreate some of these omelets I got from Pete's Diner, uh, you know, the other day. So I, I've been on a little omelet run lately. But, uh, you know, just putting out, I think I would go with the Illegal Pete still as the the top for me real solid real solid we had a good time we got in some uh late night mlb the show 13 a lot of fun with that and uh, we actually built one night a home run derby this is the 2013 major league baseball game it was the eight least favorite randall players that could have appeared that night so if you go back to 2008 you got your you know gadier molina your uh, ryan bronze um lots of different players from across the division the chicago white sox we threw paulie in there just for good measure as well to, to get a white Sox in there um but need to do that and and fun to have some uh, times with that and we accidentally video facetimed randall at about three in the morning one of the days so randall thank you for being patient that was in fact an accident that was not intentional Yes. It, it was still 3 a.m. though. 3 a.m. happens whether you are accidental or intentional. Well, let's talk about some good things with the Chicago Cubs here. Uh, one of the things that we've been expecting when they made the big sell-offs at the uh, trade deadline was an enhanced farm system. And a lot of the rankings are coming out. A lot of optimism around this Cubs farm team right now, which many expect to be in the top 10 and rising. So trending in the right direction. Um, I think the biggest name that has been trending over the last week is Alex Canario. He's the gentleman who came back from the San Francisco Giants in the trade for Chris Bryant. And home runs, Randall, it seems like every night he's knocking the ball out of the ballpark. This is very, very fun to see. One, a player that you get back for such a high-profile player like Bryant coming over, getting a change of scenery, and ripping the cover off the ball. Well, yeah, uh, you say homering seemingly every night. That is the case this week. We are recording this Thursday night. He has uh, homered four consecutive nights coming into tonight, and that's good to see. You like seeing power developing in the system and the scouting report on him is that there was uh, a lot of good power in that bat but that it there were times when it hadn't necessarily shown itself and in fact he has he had uh, nine home runs for class a san jose in the Giants system this year that was in 65 games he already has four in nine games he has not homered tonight, I don't believe. But, you know, that's that's the book on him is that there's a lot of raw power in there. And if he can unlock that, that enhances his prospect status even further. So he's he has hit very well since the Cubs added him to the roster at South Bend. Um, and that is a benefit of having a what is now a high A team 
so close to Chicago, relatively speaking. That's a drive of about two hours, depending on traffic. You can go see uh, yeah. a very exciting young prospect play at Four Winds Field out there in South Bend. And, you know, that's probably going to be part of the draw the next couple of years. I remember when Bryant was coming up, when Schwarber was coming up, Schwarber had a, a short stint at uh, what was the Cubs affiliate in Kane County uh, out there in Geneva near our friend Ryan. Um, and then people, you know, would make the trip to go see that. So that's going to be one of the benefits of having your high A team so close to Chicago is hopefully as players continue to come up, you can go out there and you can see that. So uh, it's great to see Canario hitting since the Cubs have added him to their system. And an interesting point on Canario, he is actually already on the 40 man roster, I believe. And the Giants did that in order to protect him from the rule five draft. And an interesting point was made uh, this past week that players who sign out of uh, Latin America, they are often added to the rule five roster, I beg your pardon, for that reason, so much earlier because they've been in the system that much longer. These are players who sign when they're 15, 16 years old. And of course you become rule five eligible after being in the system X number of years. So where a collegiate player might not have been in the system until he was 21 or 22 uh, players who were signed out of Latin America have been in the system since they were 15 or 16, they have to get added to protect them from the rule five draft a whole lot earlier. And that's why a player who is still only at high A and who was born in 2000, as troubling as that is, is already uh, <laughs> occupying a spot on the Cubs 40 man roster, just as he was in the Giants system. Jeremy, another yeah, prospect. I would just point out oh, that, oh, go, go I ahead. I was just going to point out that it was uh, 16 uh, would have to be because, uh, you know, that's when they become eligible. Uh, Otherwise, you get busted pretty hard by Major League Baseball. You're signing guys. Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't stop any organization. It's just a piece of paper. Uh, I, I mean, you can ask John Coppolella about that, but uh, okay. Uh, who has been banned from baseball, but uh, I mean, they do have informal deals uh, outside, but uh, uh, but what was I going to say? But Canario, yes, he's uh, shown some power lately, 0 for 4 today with two strikeouts, but the Cubs are, or the South Bend Cubs uh, are pitching a no-hitter right now in a game that was started by another guy. They acquired uh, the trade deadline, Alex Vizcayeno, who won two innings with three strikeouts, and then Joe Nas uh, pitching six more innings. So they're through the eighth with no hit, hits uh, from Fort Wayne tin caps. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting to see how some of these guys and the minors that the Cubs have acquired that people didn't really know a lot about. They're young, they're raw, and they've come in here, and, and they've really hit a lot early on. And Canario, just watching his swing, the way he gets to the ball – especially balls on the inside. It seems like he's just pulling them and crushing them. Uh, and he, and his approach, I feel like has been pretty good. He's, he lays off a lot of curveballs that you would think that a, a player at his stature wouldn't be uh, able to lay off of. It's really just been, he hasn't really kind of caught up to some high fastballs have been his issue. So, you know, I, I've, I've been watching the MILB app now every day, pretty much trying to get those South Bend Cubs, seeing how they're doing. I wish they had a, had a chance to watch the Arizona uh, Complex League because it looks like there's a lot of interesting talent down there. Jeremy, you mentioned Vizcaino. The other player who came over in that Rizzo trade, Kevin Alcantara, also in Arizona, having a great start, 10 for 27 to open up his Cubs minor league career, a couple of home runs, a couple of stolen bases. This is a top five prospect now in the Cubs system, and him coming over from New York, uh, he seems to be acclimating just fine to the Cubs system. Yeah, he seems he was hitting a bit before he came over with the 
the uh, Yankees in their in their complex league, and he's come over to Arizona from Florida, and he's pretty much doing the same things. Uh, as, as we mentioned, you know, there were some wide kind of ranging. I mean, everybody knew he had uh, very a lot of upside, a lot of talent, but there was some kind of ranging opinions on where to slot him into the Cubs system, some wide opinions. But he hasn't really done anything yet to, you know, show that he doesn't deserve to be up there uh, in a high spot. He's come over. He's kind of raked a little bit. He's hit a, a couple homers. He's His swing looks pretty good. And and that complex league team, you know, you have Preciado, you have Casey from the uh, San Diego trade, also uh, Ishmael Mena from the San Diego trade. Who, uh, those are like three guys who are all like 18 years old. Uh, or four guys really with Alcantara and it's a fun team to like look up their box score every week, every night, excuse me, because they are hitting a ton and it, it's, it just seems like a, a, a good group down there. That's really, uh, you know, Owen Casey seems like he's hitting the ball hard every single time he's up at the plate. So it's nice to see Alcantara and uh, Casey like back to back, just crushing balls. Jeremy, you, you made a point earlier, how the Cubs, are acquiring players that a lot of fans don't necessarily know about because they're younger and they are lower down in the minors. And something that I think has changed across baseball since the Cubs were trading away top prospects for the reinforcements they needed midseason, teams are a lot more prospect-oriented right now, and nobody wants to trade away a top 10 prospect. So sometimes the best you can do is get a guy who is still in low A or high A, or you know, in the case of some of the guys the Cubs got, still in what was the rookie league and is now the, the complex leagues and something you can really identify and something you can really develop and, and polish up. And I know that a lot of the criticisms me included on some of these trades that the Cubs made were that these are players that are not particularly close to the majors. Uh, and again, teams are not giving up top prospects for players who are only going to be with them a half season. You have to identify players who are at the lower levels. You have to identify a skill, a tool, multiple tools that you can develop. And hopefully you can develop those players either into productive players for your organization, or you can polish them up enough to use them as trade chips down the line. So that's something that teams have to factor in now at the trade deadline. Seems a little after the fact for that, is that no, no organization is going to give you their major league ready prospects. You have to look deeper in the system. And that's what the Cubs did. So as we discuss guys who are still in a ball, guys who are still in the complex leagues, that is what we hope the Cubs did is they identified players who have tools and skills that they really like. And now it's up to the Cubs player development system to get these players polished up and promote them up through their system. Something else in the farm that I want to talk about here, the tip of the cap to honestly a real baseball legend and a name that I'm sure a lot of Cubs fans, even good Cubs fans who are paying attention to the big league team, don't think about a whole lot. Buddy Bailey, the manager of the Myrtle Beach Pelicans with a win earlier this week becomes the fourth winningest manager in the history of minor league baseball. It's incredible longevity in the minor leagues. He joined the Cubs system in 2006. He's been all over the Cubs system, starting as a catching instructor. He has managed the Daytona Cubs, the Tennessee Smokies. He was the Iowa Cubs manager before being replaced by Ryan Sandberg. Um, he spent some time now with the uh, South Bend Cubs, at, or I'm sorry, with uh, the Myrtle Beach Pelicans after a stint with the South Bend Cubs. So he's been up and down the system. And when they won that memorable game for him, I saw video footage that the Myrtle Beach Pelicans put out. Not sure if either of you caught it. It was a walk-off win for the Pelicans. That park is full and rowdy. 
really incredible footage to see the minor league Cubs getting a little bit of taste of maybe what it's going to be like for them a couple of years in Chicago. Really, really impressed by the fan presence. One to have a walk-off game with a near full ballpark, and these fans are in it. That's very, very fun to see. And I just think the Myrtle Beach Pelicans as an organization, I know how difficult it is to be in a minor league front office and to draw fans out night after night. Really a testament to what's going on down there. And good on you, Buddy Bailey, a major or minor league rather lifer, really, one year in his entire coaching career as a bench coach in the majors for the Boston Red Sox in 2000. Otherwise, he's coached up and down the minors. Incredible moment for him in Myrtle Beach the other day. Yeah, and I, like I said, I've been checking out a few of these uh, MILB games, and I was surprised the other day when I was looking at the Myrtle. Well, I was watching Myrtle Beach, and I was I was kind of surprised at how well they they did seem to draw. At least in that game, I was watching. I mean, it was only one game, but I I was like, that's a that's a pretty good crowd they have out there, especially for a team that offensively has not been doing so well this season, at least at the start of the season, they picked it up a little bit over the last month or two with a few guys down there. But uh, I, I was kind of, you know, taken aback, uh, you know, seeing some, uh, some of these other games I've watched, you know, I think the Fort Wayne game where the South Bend was in Fort Wayne, it didn't, they didn't not seem to be drawing as well as Myrtle beach. Now, Myrtle beach, one of the great brands in minor league baseball, the Cubs were very lucky to be able to affiliate with them. A couple of years back, of course, the Pelicans have been around in their current incarnation since 1999. They've been a Cubs affiliate since the 2015 season. And, you know, they have the benefit of being in a, a great vacation town in South Carolina. So, yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of good things going on down there. You have a great minor league brand. You have a great location. You have a great ballpark. And that that is a very, very good affiliate for the Cubs to have. That's a feather in the cap of this minor league system to have an affiliate with the, the cachet of Myr the Myrtle beach Pelicans down there. Randall, I got to ask you here, sort of a lighthearted question. So many great names in minor league baseball. We've lost some great minor league baseball names as well. I think the um, Las Vegas uh, 51s was a great name that unfortunately has been replaced. I think they're the aviators. If I'm saying they that are. correctly, they are now. the Las Vegas aviators right now. That to me feels like a giant step backwards. The 51s do an iconic the, logo. The Las Vegas 51s were not just an iconic logo. They were actually my first ever minor league hat sometime in the early to mid 2000s as I started collecting those. And if you're not familiar with the Las Vegas 51s logo listeners, it was uh, an alien head, a, a stereotypical alien head, what they call the gray with the, the round gray head, the big black eyes. And it had baseball stitches uh, from the middle of the forehead up to the top. Just a great logo, a great hat. And I do miss that brand very dearly to the extent that you can miss a minor league brand two thirds of a continent away that you've never been to. But yeah, that's a great brand that I miss. Well, with what's left, Randall, just give us, uh, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, a couple of your favorite current minor league team names, mascots, uh, logos, you name it. You know, there, there are so many out there right now. And, uh, you know, Brandiose, which comes up with a lot of these logos and names, it seems like they are always endeavoring to come up with something even better. I, I'm pretty sure one of my favorites has to be the Rocket City Trash Pandas. They play, of course, down in uh, Alabama in the area where there is a lot of aerospace industry. Uh, a trash panda is, of course, a raccoon. And so their uh, logo is a raccoon in a garbage can that doubles as a rocket ship. And he's blasting off to parts unknown. It, it's so it's so stereotypically minor league. It's so perfect. Uh, I, I couldn't possibly hate it. I also like the Richmond Flying Squirrels because flying squirrels are just fun and entertaining, especially when they're paired with mooses. Uh, so I like the Richmond Flying Squirrels as well. And, you know, as 
reorganization goes on and there are a lot of unaffiliated teams now, and there are collegiate wood bat leagues that are trying to do this. There are a lot of really great names down there as well. The disco turkeys who are literally wild turkeys wearing a disco outfit, full seventies with the, the collar, the bell bottoms, everything, the Burlington sock puppets. And again, the logo is exactly what the name would suggest. It is a, uh, a sock puppet wearing sunglasses and a backwards hat. It's a uh, very poochy esque Ronan. There's a, a Simpsons mm. reference for you. So, you know, as, as teams have to work harder and harder to kind of get, get people out to the ballpark and buy merchandise, there are so many great and wacky names out there. And, you know, you have teams who temporarily rebrand as regional food items. The, uh, Kane County Cougars, the former affiliated minor league team, now they are independent. They wear the, the jerseys of, I believe they call themselves the Atomic Pork Chop Sandwiches every now and again. You know, I didn't know that pork chop sandwiches were a regional food, but the Atomic comes from Fermilab, which is a major scientific mm. facility um, in that area. So again, I, I, I think there's a ceiling to all of this. I think there's a point at which we're going to say, no, this is just too wacky but I don't think we're there yet. And I don't think we're going to get there for a very long time. And until we get there, I say, keep making them as wacky as possible, because this is where you can do that. Let me throw one into the mix here. A Jersey that we saw at Coors Field, Jeremy, last week, the Hartford Yard Goats. That's the double A affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. They used to be with the Tulsa Drillers. Now the Hartford Yard Goats question for you, gentlemen, who is the manager of the Hartford Yard Goats? It is a former cub. Boy, that is a great question. I don't know. I do know what a yard goat is, but I don't know who manages them. Jeremy, any guesses? Former Cub, I, I'm i not sure. I, I, I was thinking Glenallen Hill, but I don't know where he is now, so uh, I don't know. Chris DeNorfia, the manager wow. of the Hartford Yard Goats in Hartford, Connecticut, the Colorado Rockies AA affiliate. Jeremy, any favorites we've uh, over uh, overlooked? Uh, I, I don't really have any favorites to me. I mean, I, I, they seemingly, you know, change so often teams moving around, changing their names. It's hard for me to really get too attached to any, anything. Uh, I know that I remember just seeing earlier when Tennessee was playing, uh, the trash pandas this week. Uh, I was like, that definitely stuck out, stuck out to me. Uh, they were playing the series against them, but, uh, no, I don't really, you know, I'm a simple guy. I don't mind you know, uh, a simple, you know, the Peoria Chiefs is always a great name, 100-year-old name. Uh, River Bands and Quad Cities obviously have a personal connection to, although it's a little different uh, than the old one, which was, uh, you know, they changed the, the name slightly. Um, so, I don't know. Those are always good names. Yeah, yeah. Um, good news and some breaking news, Randall, on the minor league front. What do we have here in South Bend tonight? As Jeremy mentioned earlier, uh, South Bend had a combined no-hitter going, and they finished that off. So congratulations to pitchers Alexander Vizcaino, uh, Joe Nahas, and Burl Caraway, who I uh, pointed out preseason as someone to watch. He finished off that combined no-hitter. So that's always nice. It's always a good experience for the minor league pitchers down there to get that under their belt. Randall, let's uh, come back up to the majors here, uh, back to the Chicago Cubs major league team. They are on the road following this disastrous seven loss homestand Miami for three here this weekend, then a trip to Cincinnati next week. They've got the dome in Miami, but you talk about two places in the middle of August that to me just scream humidity, Miami and Cincinnati. Uh, what do our buds over at Cubs weather have to say about this upcoming road trip? Well, Alexander Hall's weather report makes its triumphant return to behind the yellow line 
Uh, and as always, follow Alexander on Twitter at Alexander Hall, and you can follow his shared account at Cubs Weather, which he runs with two other individuals, uh, Andrew and Colin. Um, and Alexander, by the way, was out doing some storm chasing. I believe the Cubs weather team was out doing some storm chasing in this area. And we had some active weather uh, in the Chicagoland area this past week. And I think they got some uh, some good footage, some good videos, some good photos and some good storm reports out of that. So follow uh, both of those accounts on Twitter. So Alexander provides us this weather report for the series in Miami, the series vibe, the roof at, as I roll my eyes, Lone Depot Park will almost certainly be closed as Tropical Storm Fred approaches South Florida from the south. Uh, the current forecast from the National Hurricane Center shows a weak tropical storm, so we are not expecting too many game impacts at this time, but you never fully trust a Florida tropical storm in August. And Alexander had a real easy time writing the uh, forecast for these three games, Friday, 6, 10 p.m. Central Time, Saturday, 5, 10 p.m. Central Time, and Sunday, 12, 10 p.m. Central Time, roof closed, roof closed, and for a change of pace, the roof closed. Onward to Cincinnati, where there is no roof to protect you from the Cincinnati summer. The series vibe is that muggy Midwest summertime continues, warm, humid, and increasing thunderstorm chances throughout the series. Monday for the 610 central time start, you can expect weather in the low to mid eighties with a light breeze in from right field. Tuesday at that same time, 6, 10 p.m. Central Time, temperatures in the mid-80s with a chance for storms and a light breeze in from right field. And then finally, the series finale on Getaway Day, Wednesday at 11.35 a.m. Central Time, temperatures in the low to mid-80s with a chance for storms and a light breeze in from right field. And I have to say, watching Cubs baseball for as long as I have, that certainly seems like a Cincinnati summer forecast. I feel like all of my memories of watching games out of Cincinnati involve uh, the warmth, the humidity, the the big puffy clouds and the chances for storms. So Cincinnati continuing that fine tradition as the Cubs head out there beginning Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. So thank you again to Alexander Hall, friend of the podcast and proprietor of Cubs Weather. Follow him on Twitter at Alexander Hall. Follow Cubs Weather on Twitter at Cubs Weather. And for good measure, follow us on Twitter at mm. BTYL Podcast. So smooth, Randall, and thank you, Alexander Hall. Saw some of those pictures, Randall, that Alexander put out on Twitter, storm chasing. Incredible stuff. Great photographer. I love severe weather like that. Certainly don't wish any property damage or worse on people that are on the receiving end of those tornadoes, but it's always incredible to see the work that meteorologists and those photographers do to bring that to us safely. Um, really, really good stuff. Give him a follow. We appreciate that. Um, I attended a... Cubs game in Cincinnati in August of 2005. It was right before moving down to Bloomington, Indiana for my freshman year at IU. It was the hottest I think I've ever been at a major league baseball game. Brutal sitting out there in the sun. It's humid in Cincinnati. You're right on the river. I think they got a beautiful ballpark. It is a nice place to see a ball game, but it just feels thick when you talk about Cincinnati in August and uh, pretty gross at this time. Yeah, we had no shortage of weather like that in Chicago this past week. Anybody listening to us from Northern Illinois knows you were able to cut the air with a knife this past week. We've had a pretty temperate summer, uh, maybe a half week here and there. That was pretty warm. This was easily our worst temperature week of the summer. Heat indices in the, the mid to upper 110s or 100s, whatever you want to call that in the outlying areas. It was it was pretty nasty this week. And I'm, I'm delighted that as we record this, things are starting to cool down and dry out a little bit. And we can have some much more pleasant weather to enjoy for these last couple of weeks of summer. Real good stuff. And, and it's kind of sad 
Randall, there are only a couple of weeks left of summer here. As frustrating and painful as Cubs baseball is right now, we're a month and a half away from no Cubs baseball. And yes, I'm excited about the Bears. I think IU football is going to be worth watching this fall. All that's great. But once we get to October 1st, I'm going to start itching for, okay, what's the roster going to look like next year? Where are these prospects coming? What's the payroll going to be? So I'm trying to enjoy it. As bad as it is, as ugly as these losses are, I'm going to miss Cubs baseball once this offseason rolls around. So um, I'm taking my lumps with the team. And this next good Cubs team, as these prospects start to come up, we get major league debuts, first career home runs, good teams coming together on the north side again. Um, it makes it worth it when you're there for the bad stuff. So I'm taking my losses here, Jeremy, as ugly as it is. You know, as the for, for most of us, Coming up as Cubs fans, as we did, our, a lot of our formative years were marked by long stretches of not being competitive. And my analogy at the time was always, you know, it's like your, your last meal before a long journey. The food probably not very good, but who knows when the next meal is going to be. So you got to eat as much of it as you can while you can, because that's got to last you a, a pretty long time. And I just want to point out, you used that E word that you, you gave me some crap for earlier in the pod enjoying Cubs baseball currently. Well, I, I'm enjoying having games on, but I will say there's yeah, more. That's what I was trying to say. That's, you got to appreciate the fact that we don't, we're not going to get baseball pretty soon in a month and a half and two months. Oh, I, I, so enjoy I, it while you got it. You know, like I'm going to follow the team, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be as, you know, dead on everything, you know, I, you know, probably let some things go away, but like, we're going to have a month and a half year left of Cubs baseball. So like, I'm going to watch as much of it as I you know, possibly can. And if you were watching today's horrific loss to the Milwaukee mm -hmm. Brewers, you would have seen uh, history, really, yeah. that happened at Wrigley Field. Not just ugly history, too, of getting blown out by the Brewers. Andrew Romine and Austin Romine, the brother duo for the Cubs, become the first brothers to play in a game at the same time for the Cubs since 1971, and the first brother battery pitcher to catcher in major league baseball since 1962 the dodgers did that with norman larry sherry sounds like a sitcom from the 1960s for the cubs back in 1971 some names some of our listeners may remember hal and danny breeden the last cubs duos to appear in a game but a little bit more special today that you got the pitcher catcher duo even though it meant it was a lopsided loss to the rival brewers yeah andrew romine having a big week he comes out there with the monster homer off of Craig Kimbrell in the eighth inning, which was honestly probably will be the highlight of Cubs baseball after the trade deadline. Uh, but just a fun moment with Andrew first homer in four years for Andrew Romine. And then he comes out, you know, his brother Austin gets called up today, a baseball family, their father, Kevin Romine played in the major league baseball and, and, you know, they lost 17 to four, but a cool experience, you know, a position player coming out there not and throwing to your brother who's at home plate. So, you know, I, there's going to be things like that. I feel like throughout this, I know Randall always loved when position players came in for special mention of like a, a Joe Mather or a John Baker. So we're, we're going to get more of that this year. You know, I was at Wrigley field and I was in the bleachers for Joe Mather's pitching appearance. I don't know if he made more than one. So I'll say his one and spare us any further memory. Yeah. You know, it, something I'll say is, it's, it's novel if it happens once a month to your team and it happens, you know, you, you just have a horrible night. Nobody can get out. Somebody's got to eat some innings. It, 
it's you know it's fun today because of the the brother battery if it's a thing that happens weekly for this team going forward which it might uh the novelty is going to wear off pretty quick so you you hope that they can keep some of these games close enough that you're not using your 35 year old utility infielder to pitch but you know with uh what's his face gone number four with the glasses i'm honestly blanking on his name it's so guard <laughs> With Sogard gone, somebody's got to be the designated position player pitcher. And I guess Austin Romine yeah, inherited that from uh, Sogard on his way out. The moment Eric Sogard was no longer a Cub, Randall just deleted that name from his brain. It's I gone. wish I could. I, I wish I could use, do that. News, I wish just wipe, just wipe the file. Eric completely. Sogard anymore. I wish I could do that. I have I have no expectation of the Cubs keeping any games close down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm stuck there's... ironically rooting for Frank Schwindel and Janeshwi Fargus, so uh, I, I don't have an ex- any expectation right now. It's just anything that I think is fun. I'm going to enjoy. You, you know, when when this team was competitive, and we'd look back to lineups from 2012 and 2013, and we'd we'd remember some guys in the vernacular. We are going to be looking back at some of these lineups, hopefully down the road as the team is competitive again in not too long. And we're going to be reading off names like Frank Schwindel and Janeshwi Fargus and Austin Romine. And just we're, we're going to remember this. So just a, a paleness, a, a pallor is going to come over us. The way we look at lineups with guys like Nate Shearholtz and Darwin Barney. I don't mean to dump on Darwin Barney, great defender. But the way we look at some of those lineups from 2012 and 2013 in the present day. There are some future Cubs trivia questions I'll be asking here in three or four years on this show that's happening right now. Like, like who was the Cubs brother duo that pitched uh, as battery mates uh, in that uh, terrible 2021 season? The Cubs at 52 and 65. It's a 444 winning percentage. Randall, yes or no question. Will the Chicago Cubs in 2021 lose 90 games? Yes, I think they will. I think they're going to struggle to win a game a week the rest of the way. And that does not bode well for that. It does not bode well for their final record. You know, they've got a, a, a softer, I, I say, quote unquote, softer stretch coming up where they're going to have the Royals at home. They're going to have the Rockies at home. You would hope they can pull a couple wins out to do whatever purpose a couple of wins would serve for this ball club. I don't know what that purpose would be, but yeah, it's going to be, you know, we've been talking about it the whole show. It's going to be bleak the rest of the way. Jeremy, is this a 90 loss team? Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, what, that's 73 and 89, and the Cubs have 56 wins currently. So uh 72 wins. more wins. Oh, 52 wins. Oh, yeah. It's worse. 21 more wins. Okay, that that's a little much. So yeah, I'll say they'll lose 90. They are right now on pace at a 444 winning percentage to lose more than 90 games. Keep in mind, this is not the same team that was in first place on June 25th. The Cubs have lost eight straight, nine of 10, and 32 of their last 42. So the bottom has really dropped off here. And uh, the losses help them in the long haul now, but it is still tough as a fan. David Ross also had the comment today to the media it hurts him. And, and I believe that it must be very hard for him to sit in that dugout to pencil in lineups. And again, I'm not trying to shit on these guys, Janeshki uh, uh, Vargas and Frank Schwindel, but this is not a major league roster that he's putting out there against some side young contending pitchers on the Milwaukee Brewers this week. It's com- it's a completely lopsided affair when the Cubs took the field against the Brewers. I know it hurts him and I hope it helps 
develop him as a manager. You take your lumps here. Not too many managers walk into a division championship, and he earned it last year. I think he won under very difficult circumstances, but it was a 60-game season. He's taking his lumps now this year. You hope there's things he can learn from it, give some innings here to some younger players and set the tone for next year. But um, I have no doubt it's keeping him up at night. Uh, I know he doesn't have much hair left. He's gone with a shaved head for a while, but the stress levels have to be through the roof. And I'm sure he's looking forward to the end of the year and just closing this and moving on to next year. Yeah, it's got to be brutal for the guys in that dugout. You know, everybody's going to be playing hard. They're all going to be trying, uh, you know, to each person has something pretty much to play for, I guess, I guess, except for maybe Kyle Hendricks, but uh, you know, you're trying to play to prove whether you could be a major leaguer to prove whether you could be on this team for the long haul to prove to, you know, just win. Even if you not this team, maybe somebody else will be So for David Ross, he, he's got to manage all those guys um, as well. So it, it's going to be tough. It's, it's tough for all the whole coaching staff. You know, you have, it's probably really tough for all the players. Like I mentioned, like Wilson and Jason and Kyle, who all of their guys are gone, and now they're st- they've never really lost in the Cubs uniform. Uh, Kyle did a little bit; he came up at the end of 2014, but they never none of those guys ever really lost in the you know in the major league uh, in the major leagues. And so it's going to be brutal to go there with all your guys gone. You're, you're stuck playing with a bunch of guys that were just kind of called up, some minor league journeymen. Um, it, it's tough and. So it'll be interesting to see the way how things can go. The other day, I think against the White Sox, uh, I think it was the Sunday game against the White Sox, or maybe it was the Saturday game. One of those games, I think there was Bodie was the only player in the lineup that was a Cub prior to 2021, like in the wow. Cubs organization. I don't think there was anybody in the lineup. It was just Bodie. Even Patrick Wisdom, who came up in 2020, was not in the lineup that day. So it was just a kind of a ridiculous thing to even think about that everybody there has basically been added to the roster within the this year, let alone the last couple of months they've been added to the roster. So that it's, it's gotta be a tough feeling in that clubhouse. They had four players in their lineup the other day who had been cut by other organizations this year. So it's a shell of themselves. It's not even the Iowa Cubs at this point. It's, it's this weird quadruple a team with a, a patchwork of players taking the field Wearing those home pinstripes, it's very, very odd seeing it. Um, Jeremy, I'm, I'm going to be eager to hear from you next week. You'll be back at Wrigley Field next weekend for an interleague game against the Royals. I'm curious what the vibes are like around the ballpark. I'm watching on TV here from Denver, attendance is definitely down, but the bleachers look mostly full. Fans have been sticking around. Late in games, too, fans up on their feet cheering with two outs. Like the folks that are showing up are pouring their heart into it. And, and I almost feel like there's an understanding if you're going to the ballpark here over the next month and a half, what you're watching here and what you're witnessing. I'm still in a little bit of shell shock. I think Randall, like, like some days I laugh when I look at the lineup, other days I'm getting annoyed and angry when I look at it. I'm kind of coping with the different emotions that come with what we've gone through here the last couple of weeks. You know, it, it is, it, it's just a, it's just a roller coaster uh, up and down. And you know what, today, to that point today, I realized that, that Javi's Javi's not on this team anymore. And it's not like I didn't know that, but out of nowhere today, I thought about Javi and I said, Oh, he's, he's not here anymore. So it's, it's been, it's been a really odd experience. He's crazy to think it's only been two weeks since the trade deadline. You think of everything that this team has gone through in this downward spiral in the last two weeks. It's it's still a lot of adjusting as you you watch a game and you see Sergio Alcantara or Austin Romine playing shortstop. You see Frank Schwindel 
playing first base, it's, it's, you know, it's still an adjustment. And every day you realize that over and over again, that's the great thing about baseball is every day it gives you a chance to do the good things and the bad things uh, all over again. And, you know, you, you said that there's probably an understanding for people who go out to Wrigley again this year, which I probably will again at some point, um, if only because I know that if I don't, I will regret it. Um, and that understanding, by the way, should be, please don't pay more than like $30, $35 to see, for a ticket to see this team. Like, get yourself a nice cheap ticket and move down 10 rows. Uh, that That's part of the understanding, I think, if you're going to see this team is do it within your emotional and financial means. Don't don't break the bank on on tickets for this team. Good advice the there, Ivy, you know, enjoy it. Yeah, I, I think anybody going to the game though, uh, they know what they're going to see. Like, I think there are probably a lot of people that don't want to go to games anymore, which I understand and I will respect. But if you're going to the baseball game, you're going knowing going into it. You know, this is the team. Uh, you're going because you probably enjoy going to baseball games and you like going to Wrigley Field. So I. I you know, the fans that want to be out there, I, won't, I don't begrudge them. I'll be one of them. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be a little interesting as, as the season goes on because, the, I mean, the White Sox was obviously going to be a huge series. The Brewers, once again, a rivalry uh, close by uh, proximity. You know, they could bring their own fans. When it's, you know, Cubs-Royals, uh, I, I, we'll see how the ballpark is for that. And the Royals are a team in the American League you kind of have a soft spot for. You, for many, many years, yeah. had the Kansas City Royals hat on. Well, I tried to get um, in on the ground floor, and yeah, I did. And, and they, they were a team that uh, certainly had a really fun run there in the mid-2000s with Randall's guy, Ned Yost, at the Yelm. Um, incredible bullpens there. Obviously, they won the World Series uh, as well, which was exciting. You know, Every 30 years, I guess, the Royals get a World Series. They made it twice, they won it once, and they happen to win the World Series every 30 years on a cycle. Uh, at least that's what they've been doing here. Um, one other thing that I wanted to ask, and you know, we'll just move in here to to this. It's it's been an interesting night in Major League Baseball with this inaugural Field of Dreams game just off the site from the diamond that you saw in the Field of Dreams movie from the 80s. In this inaugural season, it was supposed to happen last year, moved to 2021 because of COVID. The Chicago White Sox hosting the New York Yankees. They're off tomorrow. The series ends then at two games on the south side. A lot of pageantry around this, ton of imagery. If you watched any of the pregame show tonight, the players took the field about five or 10 minutes after Kevin Costner wandered out of the corn and right field. But after that, the Yankees and White Sox players, just like in the movie, walked onto the field out of the corn, like together. They weren't separated. They were all walking out there, um, Yankees players and, and White Sox players. They're playing in a cornfield. As we record this, Craig Kimbrell on the mound for the Chicago White Sox, a 7-4 lead for the Southsiders. What do you make of this one-off ball game here on a cornfield in Iowa in August? Quite the spectacle there uh, in uh, a historic site. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've never been to Dyersville. Uh, it's always been somewhere I kind of thought would be interesting to go to. I, you know, but uh, I think it's kind of cool. I think I think I think the setting is cool. I think like the old time uniforms are cool. I'm not a big fan of the whole field of dreams. You know, uh, everything has to be Kevin Costner or some reference to the movie. But because uh, uh, personally, field of dreams, not necessarily my favorite movie, but I think there's better baseball movies. But uh, I think just seeing it, it's a kind of a cool setting. And the Paul Park kind of looks a little small. I, lo I love the corn in the background. I think that's awesome. 
uh, the you know ball was flying out there early. I think as the night kind of came, it, it kind of died down a little bit, and the ball hasn't traveled as well. But uh, seeing guys hit home runs, home runs into a cornfield is really cool. <laughs> you should do more often. And uh, so I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe the Cubs are out there next year. Uh, David Ross kind of let slip. So it, it, it's kind of an interesting experience to watch it. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned Ross, I think, let slip a little bit that the Cubs are probably either playing in this game next year or pr- probably in probably on the short list to do so. Ross's uh, wording as he accidentally left the slip, I think he asked the reporters, are we in this next year? Uh, and then he, I think he realized he probably let slip something he shouldn't have. And he follows it up with going, no, I haven't heard anything yet either, which is pretty funny to me. Uh, you know, what little I caught of this, it, it certainly seems like a, a lot of good pageantry, something to kind of break up the dog days here in August. Um, I think if the Cubs are in it next year, that's going to in, enhance its appeal to me a thousandfold as it is you know it's it's a it's a neat it's a neat spectacle it's a neat backdrop they had a great sunset out there tonight and that's a great image the sunset the corn and this ballpark that they've built so you know it's more peripheral to me than it is a direct appeal to me but it's good imagery it's fun the ballplayers seem to be enjoying it and can we can we pour one out for anthony rizzo who very sadly tested positive for covid this past week he of course is in quarantine right now. He is not with the Yankees in Iowa. He would be loving this. Anthony yeah. Rizzo is such a big, a big, uh, a big human baby who loves everything so much. He would be loving walking <laughs> through the corn, walking out of the corn, taking pictures of himself in the corn. So uh, I feel for him really that he's missing this. But yeah, this is good pageantry. It's good imagery. It's a good one night thing. And you could very easily see this or something like it kind of becoming MLB's version of the NHL's winter classic or their outdoor games where you pick a team or two every year and they play in a a novel setting. The NHL this past winter, they had that wonderful game at Lake Tahoe with the incredible backdrop there. Iowa is not quite Lake Tahoe. Corn is not mountains. Let's not bash Iowa, especially the corn out there. I'm just saying, Jeremy, it's not mountains. That's all I'm saying. Um, But, you know, you could see MLB gauging what is seemingly a pretty universally positive response to this. And, you know, maybe next year we cut back on kind of the movie tie in a little bit. We don't need to bring Kevin Costner back to wander out of the corn again. But you could see them doing something like this every year. And that's fine. That's fine. It's a novel setting and it breaks up the the mid-August monotony a little bit. Yeah. And uh, you're talking about Rizzo. A bunch of Rizzo jerseys out there today. Uh Chris, what appears to be Chris Chelios was hanging a, a Anthony Rizzo jersey, a Cubs jersey over the over the signage, and a few other guys wearing a, a Cubs Rizzo jerseys out there. I even saw a Wrigleyville Cubs City Connect sitting right behind home plate, so a bunch of Cubs fans out there. But uh, it's an interesting, you know, uh, thing. I, the MLB's really been kind of doing these kind of types of games a lot the last few years where you had the game at Fort Bragg, you've had a couple games Cubs played in one in the Little League uh, World Series, you had a game in Omaha a couple years ago uh, for the College World Series, and last year they wanted to hold the draft there. So it's interesting, this uh, kind of an interesting thing that they've been doing this, this spinoff and a uh, one-time game. Uh, I was actually thinking maybe, you know, to go down to the, uh, the South Side, the Great, this weekend go see Anthony. Unfortunately, he tested positive. So I, I think I took that off. I'm probably not going to make it down there, but I, I did want to see Anthony, but uh, you know, as, as a person who's a big fan of Iowa corn, I think we need to support more <laughs> Iowa corn, lar- largest corn producer as they're showing on the TV right now. 
of uh, of corn in America. Uh, I I think uh, you know it's a cool thing, and and uh, you know America needs farmers. As Hayden Fry would put on the University of Iowa helmets, so you know you got to support those guys. I think this is great. It's great for baseball. Um, get some attention here in the summer. We're very close to the start of the NFL season and college football, which draws a lot of eyes away from the sport of baseball. So while you get a chance here in August get some attention. It's a very photogenic event. I think there's a lot of tact that went into the design of the event as well. And I'm talking about the dimensions and seats, sort of a a tribute to old Comiskey Park on the south side, just 8,000 people in attendance. So that's kind of cool to get almost a minor league atmosphere. A lot of these guys maybe spend time in the Midwest League, and this harkens back to some of those days. Um, Also, the manual scoreboard in left field, the batter's eye is barn-shaped. A lot of cool things like that. It's not like the just threw this event together they put a lot of thought into it and i love that the players have embraced it you see genuine excitement and these players on two teams that have a very good chance of winning a world series this year both the yankees and the chicago white Sox, with big names on both of those teams seeing them out there it just brings back some of that innocence that imagery the stuff that really feel the dreams jumps into as well because if you look at field of dreams on the surface it's a ridiculous story about a guy hearing voices and then zombies coming out of cornfields and playing baseball games but there's a lot of that film and i'm a very big fan of field of dreams it's not my favorite baseball movie but it's amongst my favorites i think the terrence Mann speech delivered by james earl jones is iconic as many things in film in the last 50 years here and certainly a great speech about baseball and and just there's a lot of sweet moments in that movie as well so i think major league baseball did a fine job paying tribute to that it was really awkward when kevin costner was awkwardly walking into the field today but the corn looks cool there was a beautiful sunset tonight do more things like this major league baseball this is going to get eyeballs. This is something that translates, I think, really well to social media as well, which is good for the sport and growing the sport with a younger audience. So mix it up. And with that in mind, putting you both on the spot, we didn't talk about this pre-show. Are there any other sites or locations that come to mind to you that you're like, you know what, that would make for a very, very cool Major League Baseball tribute? What Either of you, what maybe comes to mind for you? So I think they should build a ballpark like that in Cleveland and they can call it the major league classic. You can have Charlie Sheen walk out in his dark glasses and you can have the Cubs play in it. And it can be the second most exciting thing they've ever done in Cleveland. Jeremy, any uh, interesting sites you can think of here uh, in the U S or internationally that would make for a good major league baseball game. Well, another one you, uh, you know, they, I, I forgot about was the when the Red Sox and Yankees played in London, the Cubs and Cardinals were supposed to play in London last year. Uh, unfortunately, COVID probably put that on the shutdown for a long time. And, you know, they played games in Mexico, uh, Japan, various places, Australia. Uh, they played it, but I don't know. I, it's an interesting thought. I I feel like they used to always play a game in Cooperstown that was not like a, like an exhibition game, kind of in the middle of the season I, at Doubleday Field. And so I kind of think Cooperstown might be a cool place to actually have a real game out around the uh, Hall of Fame induction. You can get all the Hall of Famers out there that go in for the induction and put them. I think that would be a cool experience. 
I love the international games, even going back 20 years when the Cubs went over to Tokyo to open up the season. That was really cool. Um, the Cubs and Cardinals were supposed to be in London. Um, it would be great, though, if it was feasible, both from a safety standpoint and a financial standpoint, I think to see a Major League Baseball game at some point in the Dominican Republic. That would be very cool. Think of all the great players that have come from there. Mexico City, a great spot for it. We've seen games in Puerto Rico as well. So just keep growing the game. That's very important to me. Um, there's some of those uh, old minor league ballparks too across the south that are very old very historic maybe they could get a game going on in there that would be neat to see as well randall did you have another one uh no but that that is a great idea and you know the expos were able to experience that for a short time as they played half their home games in puerto rico at hiram uh, bythorn stadium um that would be great you know they played uh i believe it was a, a spring training game an exhibition game in uh cuba some years ago when relations between the two countries were starting to thaw a little bit. Uh, there is, of course, such an incredible history of players coming out of Latin America from various countries. I think that would be a fantastic idea, Ronan, is playing a game in uh, the Dominican Republic. So I think that would be a, a great a great concept for MLD, MLB to explore down the line. So that, that's a really good idea on your part. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Um... I, I, I actually remember that Cuba game. That was, that was a while. That was in the nineties. I think the Orioles went down there or played the Cuba. That was like under Bill Clinton and Fidel came out. Uh, but you know, I think it would be interesting and it's too bad nowadays that so many of these stadiums are gone, but yeah. you know, they built this stadium as a, as a, based on the old dimensions of old Comiskey park. I think it'd be cool if they were able to have some stadiums based on some old dimensions of some old ballparks. Oh, I know where uh, you're going. I know. I think we we were having some fun with the polo grounds. I think that if that if there was a polo grounds kind of replica somewhere where you can just get those dimensions, that would be an incredible. I think just just absolutely incredible experience, especially, you know, I, I you get a home run derby like out there. I would just love to see the players reactions to trying to hit anything in, in the middle of the field. It's just wide open. So something like that, you know, some older, older ballparks. It's too bad that you know, Tiger Stadium's gone. But if you could, if you could ever just play like one-off games in like an old ballpark, I think that would be really cool. I think that's a great idea, Jeremy. Certainly, that's a, one of the fun things you could do with video games. Um, I'd mentioned minor league. I uh, mentioned minor league parks. The one that kind of came to mind for me was Bossy Field, which is in Evansville, Indiana. It only holds 5,000 people, but you can bring in extra bleachers and things like that. I mean, this ballpark in Iowa only has uh, 8,000 seats, so it's not like you need to fill it up. That is the third oldest professional ballpark in the United States right now behind just Fenway Park and Wrigley Field. So that would be a cool place to do a game there in southern Indiana and Evansville. So there are lots of opportunities for Major League Baseball. I hope they embrace this i think i've got a softer spot for the film than either of my co-hosts here um, but I, I always like it when you get that james earl jones speech going i i try to listen to it before every baseball season it always puts me in a good mood and um, it's just one of those great moments in cinema history and james earl jones the voice the look uh, kidnapping him at a ball game taking him out to fenway park there are some odd moments in that film but again the messages and the themes i think still do resonate after all these years have you ever read the book I've not. No, no, no. I should. Yes, you should definitely read the book, if, especially if you like the film. Uh, a little differences, obviously. Um, but uh, I, I read the book probably when I was like 11, 12 years old uh, after seeing the film, I think, or maybe around the same time. So uh, it's an interesting uh, W.P. Kinsella, I believe. Uh, I believe it's just called Shoeless Joe. So it's uh, it's an interesting read. Well, let's end the show with a potentially tasteless question. 
but let's do it and let's bring this thing home here. The Cubs are real bad right now, so we're going to try to have some fun with this. Randall, in the spirit of Field of Dreams, if there is one zombie cub you could see, who would it be? Uh, boy, yeah, you you called this one, Ronan. This one's this one's I got to tread real lightly. Um, I'm not going to say zombie. I'd like to say tastefully reanimated. I'd like okay. to see Ron Santo tastefully reanimated. And what I would do is I would ask him, did, what, what, how much did you enjoy 2015, 2016, that era? How much did you love watching those players? And I would like to hear him talk about that in his own unique words just once. So I'll go Ron Santo for tastefully reanimated. Jeremy, you got a former Cub? Yeah, I, I, I assumed you meant uh, like actually playing. Like in yes. prime. Um, like, like so, if you could see a yeah, former player see, come out and come play. back. And, yeah. Yeah. Play. Uh, I, 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 Rod Santa was up there for me. Cause I think he was just such a great player. Um, you know, I think he's an extremely underrated player. I think he, he's probably the most underrated player in Cubs history. I think uh, he was a fantastic player that didn't really get the respect that he deserved. Um, and you can make arguments that, you know, he was right up there with Ernie and Billy Williams, and maybe you can argue who was better than them. Uh, so I, I think that that he would be a great guy to watch, uh, and and Billy Williams too. I, I It's kind of funny when you, I, you look back at those 1960s teams uh, when Ernie was kind of past his prime. He wasn't really that great of a player, although he was still out there hitting home runs and stuff like that. But the Ernie Banks that was Hall of Fame, amazing baseball player, Ernie Banks is – the Ernie Banks from in the fifties, who was a shortstop. Once he got, you know, some knee injuries, moved to first, he's not really a great player. Uh, but they did have two great players. They had Billy Williams and they had Ron Santo, who were two of the best players in all of baseball. Two amazing players. I, I, I once looked like Ron Santo was like top three in war for like an eight year period in the 1960s, where the only pe- players better than him in, in war were Hank Aaron and Willie Mays, that was like the only two, and it was Ron Santo. And so I, I would love to just see those guys play baseball because they were amazing baseball players. And they and Ron Santo, I feel like, is a guy that's just not appreciated for how good he was. A lot of the things he did in that era were not appreciable, you know, taking walks, hitting uh, just great defense. Those weren't things that teams were looking at that back then. But I so I think Ron Santo just watching him play, a, amazing player. I love the answers there. I will uh, tip the cap to the old man here. I think Hank Sauer is a guy that I'd love to see. Hearing my dad talk about him, big reason why my dad became a Cubs fan, big reason why I became a Cubs fan was what Hank Sauer was doing 60 years ago. So it would be very cool to get to see him play. Um, To make the answer a little bit more difficult, there were a couple of eras that would have been very neat to see as well. The first World Series run in 1907 and 1908, even the team in 1906 that lost in the World Series, just getting to see that era of baseball it would be a complete culture shock. The other thing that would have been fun was that stretch the late 1920s to the eight to the late 1930s, where the Cubs were winning the pennant every three years. That baseball would look a little bit closer to something that I would be able to resemble. And those were really good Cubs teams that just couldn't win it in the World Series. So I think that run in the 1920s and 30s where they were winning the pennant every three years, how fun it would be to get to see that team play. Um, But uh, we had a pretty good run here the last six years too. I will appreciate that one for the rest of my time. Yeah, I would also put, you know, you could put the 45 team in there with the, some of that late 30s, uh, a player like Andy Pafko, 
uh, who my grandpa told me was like the player he kind of grew up kind of when he was, he was growing up in the, in that era, watching the 45 team uh, get to the world series. That, that would be a great guy. So that would be another interesting name. Well, good stuff. Uh, enjoy the field of dreams game here. The white Sox hanging on as it gets late there in Iowa, the first professional, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it, the first major league baseball game in the state of Iowa tonight between the Chicago White Sox and the New York Yankees and Jose Abreu with the first home run of any major league player in the state of Iowa. That is history. We're going to be talking about that many, many years from now. Um, so you're witnessing history if you're watching that ball game tonight. And David Ross spilled the beans more than likely Cubs Cardinals next summer in Iowa. This is going to be an annual tradition in major league baseball. And one of the uh, executives was quoted as saying, they want it to be rivalry driven. So you can kind of figure over the next couple of years here, we're going to see the Giants and the Dodgers playing there and many, many other rivalries across baseball that are eventually going to get to Iowa. We'll see the Cubs there next year. Randall, final thought before we go. I'm going to, I'm going to put a prediction out there now, Ronan. I love, I know you love predictions. Yeah. I'm going to say the Cubs and the Reds oh. end up in this game Ooh. next year. I think you can milk that for quite a bit as far as history, as far as throwback jerseys, two teams that have been playing for well over a century. Now I, I'm going to put that out there as a prediction. I think the Cubs and the Reds end up in this game next year. That's fun. That's fun. I think the favorites will be Cubs Cardinals, but I like that wrinkle. Yeah, I was thinking Cubs Cardinals too. I, I didn't think of Reds, but Reds, you know, as Randall said, there is over a long history of Cubs Reds. They are one of the oldest teams in baseball. And Ronan, one more thing as we wrap up today. We didn't mention it at the start of the show, as we so often do. This is episode number 31 of yeah. Behind the Yellow Line. And yeah. of course, we would be incredibly remiss to not mention two great number 31s in Cubs history. We have Greg Maddox and we have Fergie Jenkins for whom the number is dual retired. I was at Wrigley the day they dual retired the number for those players. Uh, so two, two Hall of Famers, two great players. Fergie is a great personality still. Uh, Maddox doesn't have a whole lot of personality, but what he does have and he shows is pretty funny. So we would be incredibly remiss to not mention two Hall of Fame number 31s as we wrap up the show today. Got to tip the cap to a few other 31s. Kevin Foster, a favorite of the podcast here. Uh, Bobby Ayala, if you remember him back in 1999, a team that had a similar year actually to this Cubs team in terms of getting off to a good start and then fading in June. Randall, uh, you know the answer to this. I'm going to ask Jeremy instead. Jeremy, do you know the last Cubs player to wear number 31? Last Cubs player to wear number 31. I don't know. I feel like it would be in the early 2000s, like, or excuse me, early, like, like 2010 or 2011 kind of era. Um, before that, 2003. Before that. Oh, it's that. Wow. Um, last Cubs player to wear 31. I'm going to guess, I'm just going to make a guess. I'm going to guess like, uh, uh, it's got to be, no, Maddox was not the team in 2003. So wouldn't Maddox have worn it in 04 and 05? He did not wear 31. Well, I meant the last non-Maddox to wear. Okay. I'm very, I was confused. Uh, I don't know. I'll just say uh, Mark Guthrie. <laughs> there you go. Right on the money. Was that right? Yep. You were, you were correct. Oh, wow. I, that was, that was, that was tickling. guess. That was tickling the back of my brain. I was pretty sure that I was correct. I checked it while you were answering. It is indeed Mark Guthrie. I just, it I followed, was a pure uh, guess. 
followed a run of Brad Woodall, Mike Fiery, and Donovan Osborne in 1999, 2001, and 2002. Guthrie in 03, you're right. Maddox had it again in 04, 05, and a little bit of 06. And the Cubs retire it for him and Fergie Jenkins, who wore it uh, from the 1960s, 1970s, and into the 1980s, also as a Cubs coach in the mid-1990s. But that's all we've got for this edition of Behind the Yellow Line. It's tough, folks. We know it. It's hard to be a Cubs fan right now. But there is some good news on the horizon. And we'll be back here uh, at some point next week. We'll have another update. We'll get some trivia going again. And we'll bring in number 32 of the podcast. For Randall and Jeremy, I'm Ronan. We'll see you next time. Go Cubs and hang in there, Cubs fans. The worst is almost behind us.